Welcome to the Unbound Healing Podcast. I'm Anne-Marie Garland, nutritional therapist and health coach at Grassfed Salsa. And with me is my co-host, Michelle Hoover, certified nutritional therapy practitioner and writer of everything you'll find at Unbound Wellness. Here we share everything about overcoming health challenges from autoimmunity to hormone imbalance and more with holistic living, mindset shifts, practical tips, and a real food paleo approach. Remember our disclaimer, the content within this podcast is intended to provide general information and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, Michelle, how's it going? I am great. How are you this week? I'm doing well. Do you want to start us off with your updates? Um, dang, I don't really think that I have any other than what I've already been talking about, which is my event with Kara here in Dallas is going to be, I think it's good when this comes out, it'll be that Sunday. So I've already been yakking about it for a while, but yeah, it's an event that you can find all the details about it. If you go to my Instagram on Bound Wellness um, and just click the link in my bio, you'll be brought to the Eventbrite with all of the details, or you can go on Facebook. It's there as well. But yeah, so we have a live event in Dallas this weekend. It's going to be free. It's going to be about healing with nutrition, and we have two more events following that. So if you want to meet me IRL, this is your time. Don't delay. Yeah. This okay. is it. Um, so with my updates, I went to, uh, well, we had a, um, I think I talked about this already, but we went to a hotel last weekend for mother's day and to allow our house to be shown without us having to leave every hour. Um, and so we stayed out by the pool and because I was like, surprised by this trip, I tried to pack in a hurry and I forgot sunscreen. And so I went to, well, James and I went to Whole Foods and we got some sunscreen and the brand that I typically recommend and have recommended on here before, but I'm not going to shout them out. And it totally did not work. And I got super burnt, but my face, I didn't wear a hat or anything. My face did not get burnt at all. And I realized afterwards it's because I was wearing a tinted moisturizer with SPF. So the moral of the story here is that all sunscreens are not created equal. So find one that is Mm -hmm. well reviewed and yeah, don't just go to your grocery store and get a random one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have a funny story. So the new beauty counter sunscreens, Mm -hmm. they come in the, the, the travel size ones. The one is in an aerosol can. I'm like, well, I can't get on a plane with that. And the other one is in like a stick. And I used a stick. It was just like a, you know, crappy, like just dirty sunscreen. Daniel and I used it when we were in Key West. And like we weren't in bathing suits, but it worked really, really well when we were just walking around just kind of in t-shirts. But the same, I'm not, I haven't tried the beauty counter one yet, but this stick that was just not, it was not that high quality. You know, I bought it for like really cheap and it was just a whatever conventional brand. I went to Port Aransas with my family and I was like, here, everybody use my stick. And everybody had like the streakiest oh, no. sunburn because like the stuff did not really even work. And it's like, it didn't like, it just went over like one section like you couldn't rub it in from there it oh my god that's and a- it was like my fault because i was like this works because it worked like uh, it worked on like my arm because i could care like i could cover the entire surface area of my arm so typically i like the aerosol cans but i'm gonna try the stick one from beauty counter and see how that one goes because i mean it's all about the brand um and that application process does work if it's a good brand. <laughs> oh, it was horrible because my entire family, like my brother-in-law and my sister, like everybody, everybody was walking around with just a horrible sunburn. And I was like, Ooh, sorry. 
Well, that's the other reason why I like mineral-based sunscreens is because they go on white and mm. so then you see when you rub uh-huh. them, you're like missing an area. But exactly. Those, like, go on like clear, like a stick. You can't. Oh tell yeah, you can't tell. That's exactly yeah. what it was. So I'm excited. I'm going to New York and I'll be outside a lot. And I'm excited to try the new, the new one because I sunburn terribly. I am very, very fair. Me too. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just, I was seriously so shocked that an area of my body that, like a product I wasn't even using specifically for SPF protected my face better than the sunscreen that I purchased. Like it was shocking. Yeah. That's my, um, maybe interesting little. (laughs) It's interesting to me. I feel it. Is it my turn for what we're loving? Yes. What I'm loving this week, and I shouted out on Instagram I am really bad about hydrating myself recently. I honestly, I purposely dehydrate myself sometimes just so I don't have to be running to the bathroom like every, like every store that I go into, but that's really dumb, (laughs) especially in the summer in Texas. It's like, okay, I just need to go in the bath, like whatever. But then the issue is, okay, what water bottle do I get? And I had a healthy human water bottle and I lost it. And I got a new one that I like a lot better. The other one was good, but I've got some extra things for this one. So it is a healthy human water bottle that I am completely loving. It's stainless steel. It doesn't sweat and you can leave the, it's already upper nineties here in Texas in mid-May. And you can leave this thing with cold water in the car in Texas. I could go in the grocery store and like be out and about for like two hours and I could come back and it's still cold. Like it is not piping hot. It's amazing. Doesn't sweat. It's really lightweight. Um, it's easy to clean. Like if you get, they have specific cleaning brushes that you can buy for it and they're pretty cheap. So it's pretty easy. And I bought a sports top for it this time, which was worth every penny. And I have seriously been drinking so much more water ever since I got this thing. And I just want to take it everywhere because I love it so much. So if you're looking for a good water bottle this summer, healthy human, you can get them on Amazon. I'm not sure where else they sell it, but Amazon. So yeah. Perfect. We are going to hop right into our topic today, and it's a bit of a heavy topic, but we feel like it's really important to cover. It's actually one of the most like requested topics that I've ever received from my like social media or even in emails. I I feel like I will be able to reference this probably on a weekly basis, like to answer somebody's question. So I hope you guys find that it's helpful. Um, I did ask on Instagram if anybody had questions and received so much general support for this podcast, like talking about how needed it was, but, um, and some questions as well. Instead of making this though a Q&A topic, I just kind of addressed each of those questions in the different steps that we have here. Cool. Hopefully that's helpful. And just as a quick disclaimer, we are going to be talking about some things that could be triggering for you if you have an eating disorder or disordered thought patterns around food. And so if that's something that you just can't listen to right now at this time in your life, go ahead and skip to the next episode. Yeah, we are not licensed medical professionals at all. We are speaking as you know, health coaches and nutritional therapy practitioners, we are that, and we have our own experiences with this whole thing, but this does not substitute for actually going to a therapist. Correct. And when it comes to disordered eating and eating disorders, a therapist is almost always needed to get through those. Mm -hmm. So this isn't to replace a therapist. Um, It's not to like take this lightly as in like this is all you need and you're going to find success but it's kind of a a step in the right direction if you're already working with somebody yeah okay 
So we are covering, I don't know if I even explicitly said it, but we are covering disordered eating and healing diets and how those two things can go hand in hand in a variety of different ways. So if you are coming from a background of having disordered eating and you're trying to approach a healing diet, and that could be anything, it could be something as extreme as GAPS, could be AIP, could be paleo, um, vegan, vegetarianism, anything like that that's coming from a healing place, but you know that you have disordered eating tendencies and so you're scared to try it, these would be steps you could take to see if it's something that you can handle right now in your journey through healing through that disordered eating tendencies. So for step one, the first step that I want to talk about is to make sure that you're in a good place mentally and emotionally. Now, a restrictive diet can be really triggering because there are restrictions to what you're eating, whether those restrictions are done so out of necessity for your health or whether they're done out of a place for like a standard diet, which might be a place of aesthetics or a place of control. Um, any type of restrictive diet can be triggering. And that's something to be aware of upfront. I think a lot of people just assume that because this is a healing diet, it's okay to be restrictive, but that's not always going to be the case for every single individual. It really needs to be the right time for you. Mm -hmm. the one thing that I had um, a few people actually respond about was that they they felt like they were being restricted on AIP, like they were on AIP specifically, and they felt like they were being restricted, but they didn't know if that cl was classified as like disordered thoughts. So to identify what those like, to identify if you yourself are having disordered thoughts and need to be going through this step-by-step -step process, I wanted to identify a few different things here that might kind of classify those types of tendencies. So the first one is feeling like you're superior when you're 100% compliant with whatever protocol you're on. So if you're following it perfectly and you're feeling like, oh my God, I'm totally rocking this because I'm 100% compliant. And then the minute that you have a small slip up or indulge in something, I, I don't even want to call it a slip up, but you indulge in something off protocol and then suddenly you feel a lot of guilt and shame. Those are going to be disordered thoughts. Another is when you're feeling like the protocol that you're following is better than all the others. So again, a feeling of superiority, but more so for the eating style that you're following. And that would be that you still have this like one size fits all mentality around eating. And that's not always the case. Um, Michelle has a gut healing protocol that helps you identify like which healing diet you should be following because not every protocol is going to benefit every single person. And then, so um, if you are feeling like your way is the only way, whether that's for you or for others, that's going to be another identifier. Mm -hmm. Labeling foods as good or bad, uh, the way I prefer to do it is labeling foods as an enjoy or avoid. And again, that can go back to a restrictive um, terminology, but it seems a little bit easier to identify as like, this isn't a bad food. It's just a food that I'm avoiding for a temporary amount of time. Yeah. The way that I like to think of it as is foods that serve me and foods that don't serve me. Like this is going to make me feel good. And this isn't going to make me feel good. That's the way that do you want to, I mean, you could probably go back to the beginning. We'll, we'll talk about our own stories throughout this episode. I'm sure we'll weave that in, but that's one of the things that for me trying to break free of any sort of disordered mentality around a healing diet was like, I can have this. I can't have this. Like that self-talk is so important and so powerful. So saying like, I am going to eat this and I'm going to feel good, or I'm going to eat that and I'm going to not feel good. And then that's just going to, once you don't feel good, like that would send me 
just mentally into this spiral that was just even worse once I didn't feel good because then I was just like, oh, now I hate myself. I'm completely out of control. I have no control. It was like I would fall into that frame of mind. Yeah. I love that. Like foods that serve you and foods that don't. And again, always keeping in the back of your mind that these foods may not serve you right now, but that doesn't mean that they won't forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last identifier that I came up with was associating emotional responses to eating particular foods, whether those are foods that you are enjoying or foods that you are avoiding. But if you feel guilt or shame. And I'll talk about this a little bit more, but if you feel that around any foods that you're eating, whether it's like, let's say you're coming from a background of a low fat diet. So this is my example here. I used to claim that I hated avocado because I wanted an excuse not to eat it because it was high in fat. And so when I first started AIP, I would feel really guilty when I was eating avocado and I had to go through the start starting process of AIP twice before the third time when it finally stuck. And finally, when I was able to say like, okay, this avocado is, is fine. I'm no longer associating emotional responses to it unless it's just like, I love this. This makes me feel great. So there were no like negative emotional responses to eating those particular foods. And even if it's a positive response, but it's a a food that potentially is like an indulgence. And so that's going to, again, just trigger your thought process of when I eat chips, it makes me so freaking happy. And so then I'm going to want to binge on them and eat them as much as possible. So it's still associating emotional responses to particular foods, whether those responses are good or bad. So those are four ways that you can kind of identify are you also kind of falling into this disordered thought pattern? And if so, then the next step would be to identify what your triggers are and find tools that can help you work through them. So again, this is all going back through like before, ideally before you start any healing protocol, these are different things to kind of consider. Now, when identifying triggers, it's really important to find a way to manage them because It is likely that depending on the severity of your disordered thought patterns, you likely will have those tendencies for the rest of your life. And I know that that can be like really overwhelming and really discouraging, but instead I want it to motivate you to find ways to manage them because they likely are not just going to disappear. And maybe at some point in your life, they will become a lot more, manageable depending on what your um, triggers are, but there will always be times when they resurface. So again, in my personal history with my eating disorder, I finally identified that the trigger was a non-supportive relationship that I was in. And so as soon as I started working, I mean, that was one of my main triggers. So as soon as I started working through a variety of other smaller triggers and I became in a relationship with my husband and a very supportive relationship, I found that disordered, what I was partaking in, what I was engaging in, those um, habits are no longer a part of my life. And It's been about five years now, and I would say that the only time that it even like comes to the surface anymore would be in the exact same way would be when I get really, really stressed. And so now that's like my new trigger. So I don't have this unsupportive relationship anymore, which was my primary one, but I think stress and control was always a part of it. And so that's kind of the new trigger. So finding those triggers and then figuring out what tools you can have that work through them. So if it's stress, like what can help combat stress in your life? And there are always going to be times where you can't control the stress. For example, like me moving has been a ridiculously stressful time in my life, um, prepping our house for, for to put it up for sale. And that's something that I can't control. Like that has to happen. It's not like I can just walk away from, from that situation. So I need to figure out ways that I can reduce the stress in my life aside from that. So I can better handle that particular time. 
And so if stress is one of your elements, I would recommend going back and listening to the Adrenal Health podcast because we do talk a lot about supporting your your stress um, in your life. Mm-hmm. Another tool would be, I think I, I came up with a few tools that I feel like work for a majority of people who are struggling with disordered tendencies, but you really need to figure out what your triggers are and then finding tools that work for them. So one tool would be to start engaging in positive self-talk. So self-love, self-care, all of that. Loving your body as it is right now. And that may not be like loving every single part of your body, but finding parts of your body that you do love and learning to accept the parts that maybe you don't love. So there are parts of my body and I'm not going to get into where they, where they are because I feel like that might kind of feed the, the disordered thought pattern, but there are parts of my body that I ideally would have, like if it were my ideal world and I could just build my own body, like I'm um, thinking of Ready Player One, if anybody's seen that. So if I were building my online avatar, there are parts of my body that I would make look exactly as they do in real life. And there are parts of my body that I would adjust a little bit because I don't necessarily love them, but I've learned to accept them and I've learned to not hide them. And that's, that's a really um, powerful place to come from. Another one would be to find ways to compliment others on things that you appreciate about them aside from their aesthetics. And being able to notice and recognize positive traits on other people that don't have to do with their looks will help you. It'll help change your thought pattern and allow you to do the same thing for yourself. One thing that I had to do, well, didn't have to do, but one thing that I did on social media recently was I listed like three random funny facts about myself and trying to think about things that are just like random things that somebody else might be able to relate to or appreciate or find funny was surprisingly difficult. And then when I asked my husband to help me think of ways, he literally like came up with five right off the bat, you know, so it's, it's easier to look at somebody else and see these things than it is to look at yourself. And so the first step would be finding those things in others so that you can start to view yourself in that same way. For sure. Want to add anything else or move on to the next? Um, yeah. So I, I kind of threw off the steps here. This is step two, in my opinion, and also kind of goes along with finding your own trigger. So I haven't talked a ton about this for myself, a lot of because I've never been diagnosed with an eating disorder. Like I've never had that given, but honestly, I did a lot of the wrong things when I was going through some disordered patterns, meaning that I didn't go to a therapist until it was way later in the game. And I I needed one a lot earlier, but I too was in a relationship where I had a person who knew about what I was going through and they told me, they're like, well, you're going through this because you're physically, like you're emotionally not strong. Like you don't need a therapist. You just need to be emotionally stronger. So that (laughs) made everything great, obviously. So I just kind of spiraled out of control for too long and I eventually um, got things a little bit more under control, but I've talked about that. I still need a therapist to deal with anxiety and things like that. So I don't think this work is ever done, but if I were to write my own story, it wouldn't be one that I would want people to take tons of advice from me because I took a while to act. Um, and I think that people need to act earlier if I was telling other people, but what I dealt with, (laughs) mostly was I I went through and I just talked about this on a podcast, um, the straight up paleo podcast. I talked about how I went through and I've talked about this on the blog, just, um, issues with gaining weight and losing weight and everybody telling me, Oh, you're so skinny. Look at you. And feeling really great about that and did not wanting to gain weight. I went through that, but I also went through a period of binge eating tendencies and if you look up online, like what the tendencies are with binge eating, and it was a lot, a lot of this was me. 
is that I was obsessing over the foods. I was mentally restricting the foods. I was not telling myself, um, you know, this is serving me or it's not serving me. I would be like, this is horrible and bad and this will make me a bad person and this will make me a good person. I asked my mom, I remember this very vividly. I asked my mom one time, like I really wanted to go eat at Wendy's. I was like, mom, am I going to be a bad person if I go eat at Wendy's? Like I just had this horrible, like food makes you good and bad. And that's part of what was triggering that. But a huge thing that honestly solved so many problems for me. And I think that people look over, especially when I mean, we're talking a lot about the mental stuff, the mental and emotional stuff, but the physical stuff is so important. And part of a big thing with my triggering my binge eating tendencies was that my blood sugar was a mess and I was not digesting and absorbing any of my food. So I would go to a restaurant and eat like a full meal. Like I'd go to Chili's or whatever and get like this huge salad that I thought was healthy. I thought this was making a good choice, um, you know, with a sugary dressing. And then I would come home and be like, well, I'm still so hungry. And I would keep eating. Um, And a lot of that was that restrictive mentality. But once I started working on my digestion and my blood sugar, I saw so much of those behaviors go away. And I see that with clients as well is that, you know, there's a lot, a lot of it's emotional, but a lot of it is physical as well. Food is still physical. Like we're talking about healing diets because food has an effect on our body and the way that we eat is from our brain, yes, but our body as well. So really, really, really important to make sure that you're absorbing your food because that's one of the number one things. Your gut talks to your brain. If your gut is all off and it's not absorbing food, you can have a lot of these tendencies. And that's, to me, like if I have any triggers, like that's still a big trigger for me. Like if I eat food, like if my... um absorption is off for any sort of reason. Usually if I eat something that kind of blocks my absorption. So if I'm eating food that does not serve me and just kind of my whole absorption is really off, I will, and I'm not getting any nutrients. Like I feel like I'll have to keep eating. People that don't eat nutrient dense diets, they have to keep eating more and more and more. Like they eat more food because their body's like, where's the nutrients? Like, come on. So that was a big factor. And then blood sugar as well. So if you are having blood sugar spikes and swings and dips all day, that will totally tell your body to restrict food and to eat a lot of food. Like you could wake up in the morning and just not want to eat like, oh, I don't want to eat in the morning. And that could feed, you could physically feel like you don't want to eat because your blood sugar is so off or it's so high. If your body can tell you these things because of your gut and your blood sugar. We have podcasts about both of those. If you go in your podcast feed there, we have a whole episode, like it'll be titled blood sugar. And then we have a whole episode on digestion where we dive really deep into those. But that's something that I feel when we talk about disordered eating and healing diets, it goes straight into all the mental and emotional stuff, which is hugely important and not enough people are talking about it. So I'm so happy we're talking about it here, but the health of your body, the health of your gut, the health of your blood sugar balance, hugely important. I'm really glad you covered that because another thing that was talked about in, um, well, brought up when I asked my questions was that people were saying, I'm still indulging in these tendencies, even though I know I'm eating enough, because that Mm. seems to be when we're talking strictly about the food component to disordered eating tendencies most often the practitioner goes straight to, well, if you are having binge eating, if you are having disordered thoughts, it's because you're not eating enough. You're restricting too many calories. And that's not always the case. So you're bringing up another layer of how the diet could kind of play. In. <coughs> Sorry, I just coughed into the mic. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. So the next step is to, again, this is all prior to starting Um, Once you determine you're in a good place to attempt a healing protocol, you're going to prepare for it mentally. And I would say that 
Changing your mindset from I have to do this protocol for my health to I am choosing to do this protocol for my health. And all of this, at least a a lot of this goes back to like the way you're talking to yourself and the mindset that you have. And if we can like prioritize that above all else, then a lot of these other things are kind of going to kind of fall into place naturally. So the first one would be to choose that you are doing this protocol for your health and that you're making a commitment to bettering your health and not necessarily your appearance. Now I know Michelle and I have both talked about how AIP specifically did end up changing our appearance. And for us specifically, it changed our appearance pretty drastically when other things did not, but you shouldn't go into it with that mindset. And I know, right. I know that's hard. Like that's really hard, but it's, it's just an important approach because if you go into it with that in your, in the back of your mind at all, then you're likely going to see things spiral out of control. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't work, you're not going to want to do it. Exactly. (laughs) I had a conversation with my husband the other day who, um, wants to do some dietary stuff for his skin and the health of his skin. And I was like, okay, well, here are your options. Like, what do you, what do you think that we want to do? Because obviously I can help him. And he's like, I want to do the thing that is going to be guaranteed to work, or I'm not going to want to do anything else and I'll give up. I'm like, well, you outright said it there. (laughs) It's like, you're honest about it. But I told him, I was like, that's not an option. But (laughs) let's be honest with ourselves. We all have had that feeling of like, I'm going to pick out like a new workout routine or a new diet protocol. It's like, I want the one that's guaranteed results or I will give up forever. Like we, yeah, I've been there. Right. Guaranteed is like the biggest trigger because that's what people want. Like the reason why that is used so often in sales tactics is because that's what that's what works. That's like the underlying emotional response to these things. All right. Then after you have chosen that this is the protocol and you're doing it for your health, keep in mind that this isn't forever and don't place any type of shame on the standard American diet or whatever diet you are doing prior to starting this healing protocol. Instead, I want you to idolize a perfect for you diet. So rather than saying like that standard American diet that I was following before I started this, like got me to the worst place in my health, because what you're doing is you're shaming that previous place. And that means that you have now approached this healing diet with like rose colored glasses and you're thinking that it's the answer to all your problems. And as soon as you are healthy, you're going to go back to this shameful diet or you have to stay on this one forever. So instead of doing either of those, like feeling like you have to stay on the healing protocol forever or feeling like there's shame and going back to what you were doing before, I want you to idolize that this healing protocol is going to help you tailor a diet that is 100% perfect for you and can be adjusted in the future. So that means that it's not this lifestyle plan that you have to be on for the entire rest of your life. It's something that's going to be like, like fluctuate throughout your life and throughout your, your needs and how they change. Mm -hmm. So what that means, if you're going into this, like into this protocol thinking that this isn't forever. What does that look like? So the first thing that I would say is that it has to be sustainable. Now, I don't mean that in the sense of the GAPS diet phase one would not be sustainable for the rest of your life, but that is a very brief temporary approach. Um, If possible, I want you to find ways to make it as sustainable, even those interim, those short periods of time, I want you to make those as sustainable as possible. And what that means to me is finding treats that are compliant, that you can indulge in, that don't cause any guilt or any shame. And honestly, 
when I look at various healing protocols um, in the kind of health industry that we're in and the approach that we're coming from, I actually feel like AIP is one of the easiest protocols to do that can incorporate foods that can be um, healing and on protocol, but can also be treats. And that may mean that you are consuming more sugar, more carbohydrate, more flours, more processed foods than what somebody who is like an AIP seasoned expert that has never had disordered tendencies might consume or might recommend consuming. But if you are able to stick to the protocol longer because you have, you know, as long as you need, not longer is better, but as long as necessary for you, because you are incorporating these treat foods, um, like the pizzas from the healing kitchen, for example, then that is a more sustainable solution for you. And that would cause fewer disordered tendencies, in which case that would be something I 100% recommend. This also might be mean that you have moments where you change your eating style to something that you may not typically have. And I, again, this is something I've talked about before, but looking at foods as these are your besties that you hang with all the time. These are your acquaintances that you only have on cer certain days or events or social occasions. And then there are enemies that you avoid at all costs. So another approach to making something sustainable is that you do have those acquaintances that for certain events, you can come back to these acquaintance foods and maybe they don't throw you into a downward spiral in your health, but it's not something that's necessarily health promoting. So you don't indulge in it all the time. But in those times that you do allow yourself to have it, you are not associating any feelings of guilt or shame towards eating those types of foods. And then the last thing about um, keeping in mind that this isn't a forever lifestyle thing is just that you have freedom. So you are giving yourself the freedom to eat whatever you want within that protocol keeping in mind that this is going to be a fluctuating protocol. So there may be periods where you have to um, be a little bit more tight with your diet and periods of time where you're able to have a little bit more um, looseness to your diet, but uh, there are fluctuations and you have the freedom to choose every single day what you're going to partake in. Okay. And then the next Thing that I would say to help prepare mentally would be to omit the triggering devices that you've used in your past um, when you were on, say, a diet that you found to be like really triggering. Examples of that might be like a tape measure or a scale, full length mirror, keeping clothes that are too small for you, and even social media influences. So omit as many of those as possible. Of course, there are you know, ads on Facebook that are going to pop up that you can't help but see, but making sure that you're doing what you can to admit what you can. All right, next step. So we have assumed that you have mentally approached this protocol and you are feeling like you are ready to attempt it. You feel strong. You have the support you need. What's the next step? The next step, in my opinion, is to start slow. So you are going to choose to start this protocol and only continue it for, say, one week. And again, this is something that I've said so many times. I hope it, it resonates with you all. It's not just like a me thing. But not feeling like this has to be a six-week protocol, but instead I'm going to try this for a week. If it's triggering to me, then I can stop. And I can come back to it at a time where it's not triggering for me because just because it's triggering for you at this point in time does not mean it always will be from the point, the period of my life where I was in an unhealthy relationship and having my eating disorder tendencies, I waited, let's see, I think it was about five months before I tried AIP the first time and it didn't work. And then I think it was probably around like seven months the second time I tried it. 
And then it was nine months before I actually was able to do it. So that is nine months of like introspective work that I had to do before I was able to do that healing diet and do it successfully. And it honestly, it changed my life. Like doing that changed my life. It changed my relationship with food, but it took a really long time to get there. So when I finally was able to make it work, I started just thinking, I'm only going to do this for one week. And if I can't do it anymore, then I'll stop at that point. And I just did, I took it one week at a time. All right. The next one I would say is to make AIP as least restrictive as possible. So with that, take the foods from the enjoy list and eat them liberally, especially if it is a food that you found in the past to be something that you typically wouldn't have eaten. Going back to my personal experience here, that food for me, well, one of those foods was like bacon, um, avocado, carbs in general. So there were like a variety of different things that I was eating that I was restricting originally. And so once I went AIP, instead of restricting those foods, in addition to all these other foods, I would allow myself to eat an entire avocado, which is something I still do. When I hear people doing like a quarter of an avocado, I mean, I, you know, maybe that works really well for people, but like, oh my gosh, I want the whole avocado. So it's just, it's like this crazy shift that now I'm consuming so much fat. And one time my body like handles that really well, but it's something that in the past I wasn't able to do at all. And I think what helped me personally with this in not feeling restriction was that what previously felt like a restriction, I was now able to completely freely indulge in. I allowed myself to eat those foods as often as I wanted and whenever I wanted. It wasn't associated with certain meal times or certain snack times or anything. As soon as I wanted that food, I allowed myself to have it. And another thing to think about is that most often when you feel like you're going to become fixated on a certain food that you cannot or you're not allowing yourself to have, it's usually in a general sense and not a micro sense. What I mean by that is you generally are going to be fixated on like, okay, I really want chips. I cannot stop thinking about chips. So finding a way that chips can work into your healing diet. So it's not that you're missing Lay's chips specifically, but you are missing chips in general. So maybe you have plantain chips and allowing yourself to eat as much and whenever you want of those plantain chips. That's another example for me specifically. I used to grab a bag of plantain chips, Anka brand plantain chips, and I would eat the whole thing. I couldn't stop myself. Oh yeah, me too. But that was fine with me. I wasn't giving, I wasn't guilting myself. I wasn't looking at the calorie count. I was just eating when I was hungry. And that was one food that I maybe binged on in a sense, because I didn't stop to think like halfway through the bag, am I done with this? Am I content? Do I feel fine? But now I rarely even buy plantain chips. Like I allowed myself to have them to a point where that fixation on chips stopped and I no longer have it. I have complete control over what is left in my pantry. Like honestly, the other day I bought um, the Siete chips and they were one of the flavored ones. And um, I think like a week, maybe like a whole week went past and I looked at my pantry. I was like, oh yeah, these chips are in here. Like never in my life before starting AIP would I have been able to have forgotten about that bag of chips? Like I would have constantly thought about it at the end of every meal. And I think the way I was able to get past that was allowing myself to eat them as much as I wanted and not associating shame with them. And eventually that fixation like disappeared. And a big thing with that as well, is, well there would be chips or cookies or pizza or whatever is that as you continue to heal so as your gut heals as your digestion heals as your blood sugar starts to level out your body will tell you 
that it doesn't actually want those foods. So a lot of the time, like that binging can come from, you know, your body not really even knowing what it wants, but you eventually can break from that once your body's like, I don't really even need these. Like when I started a healing diet, I was just so out of touch with my body that I was like, Oh, what do I like? What, what do I do? Like I needed, um, so much focus on my food because I had no idea what, how much I was supposed to be eating and no idea what I should be eating. Like what was a healthy fat? Like I didn't know, but as you start to come back into balance, your body will be like, okay, like it's, it's fine. Like you don't need the chips. I can be the same way now that before it was like, I would buy plantain chips and I wouldn't get out of the parking lot of the grocery store until I was like halfway through the bag. Like I would just eat it immediately. But now it's like, I can just keep it in the house and it's like, it's fine. Like my body tells me when it wants something and I'm able to stop when I don't anymore. Yeah. That's a really good point. And to be completely honest, a lot of times there are there are moments where I get out of the grocery store and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to try. Actually, I think with those chips, they were a flavored one. I'd never tried. Oh, I still do that, yeah. but I ha- I try it. I don't eat like the, I don't, I'm not like, oh my gosh, I have to eat the whole bag. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. So moving on, let's see here. Oh, finding alternatives that taste great and are compliant is kind of the conclusion to that specific area. So if you find that your fixation is on treats, finding treats that are compliant with the protocol that you're on, that actually tastes good, um, that's going to really benefit you. All right, finding ways to eat the foods that you may find scary in public. And that is one of the scariest moments. I remember really early on in my relationship with James, I had eaten a bag of gluten-free chocolate covered pretzels. It was this food that I like felt shame around eating, but I, you know, I ate it in public, but like for some reason around him, I just felt like shame around it. Mm -hmm. And so instead of perpetuating that and constantly feeling like scared to eat these things in front of your friends because they're going to judge you on it. Like find ways that you can be like, yeah, I'm going to rather than say no to these, this cookie or these chocolate covered pretzels or whatever, like find ways that you can eat those foods in public. Now going back to like AIP, what that means is there's likely not going to be a gluten-free chocolate covered pretzel that you can eat on AIP. So find other foods that you tend to find scary in public. And maybe that means like guacamole. Like maybe you have guacamole because you're eating avocados and avocado was like one of your shame foods rather than hiding avocado and only eating it when you're at home or only eating it in the car. Um, like being a little bit more public with it. Like this is fine because again, that's making that food not be shameful. And once you release that shame, you're likely going to release a lot of the fixation towards it. All right. In the beginning, you're going to focus on foods that previously may have um, been restricted. So this was something we talked about earlier. There was the example of fats. A lot of times like fruits could be something that you restricted before, dried fruits specifically, um, trail mixes, like maybe you're trying the the paleo approach paleo um, protocol to heal something and uh, trail mixes are like an enjoy food. So allowing yourself to have trail mix, even if that means you eat like four servings for the first week that you're eating this and you go through the bag really quickly, that's okay. It won't be like that for the rest of your life. And remember that you're not doing this to be a low carb approach. You have decided to do this for your health. And is that food harming your health? Assuming that you tolerate nuts and dried fruit just fine, it may not be harmful to you. Okay, and then when meal planning, here are my suggestions if you come from a disordered background. Rather than associating Mondays, I'm gonna have this for breakfast, this for lunch, this for dinner, plan very loosely. And what this looks like for me is I instead plan 
um, to have particular dinners throughout the week, but not associating them with any particular day. And that way, as the day rolls around, I'm able to stop and think to myself, like what sounds good for dinner today? And I have all the ingredients and I have seven different recipes that I can choose what sounds good. So plan a loose um, meal plan. Don't pre-portion your meals because that might fall into whether you realize it or not, it's likely going to be that you have already associated like a cup of white rice is the amount of rice that you should have, or maybe a half of a cup, right? So when you are pre-portioning your meals, you're automatically taking what you see to be that correct in quotations there portion. Hmm. Instead, what I would recommend is to include more food than you think you should eat and allow yourself to eat it until you feel content. And that is going to take some practice. And it may mean that you are overeating in the beginning, but eventually it will start to level out where you are able to actually listen to the cues that your body is giving you and stopping yourself from overeating and ending up having leftovers. And that's something that I actually, I pride myself on now because I am able to eat, I eat pretty slowly and it's not something that I like consciously do. It's just at this point now I eat, I'm kind of a slow eater and I am able to realize like, okay, I'm done. And now I have leftovers for tomorrow. Uh, the last thing I would say when meal prepping at least in the beginning, if you're coming from a form of restrictive eating is to avoid smoothies, soups, and bars for a period of time. And the reason why I would suggest that is smoothies and soups for a lot of people make them feel like they have not eaten because they aren't actively like chewing the food. So even if they have enough calories, if they have enough carbs and fat and protein to feel satiated, they may not in the beginning because of these emotional issues that they're dealing with. And so if you can avoid those and instead of a smoothie, have a hearty breakfast that you are chewing the food, then it may, you may find that you have, you feel less of a need to binge or um, indulge in a snack when you don't need to actually have that. I feel, I feel that way with smoothies, but soups I love. I, I think that what helps me with soups is putting food in it that I do chew as well. So mm -hmm. either like I'll have a stew or when I have just like a butternut squash soup, I'll put bacon and like apples and stuff like that on it. That could be a little hack. Yes. An avocado and yeah, yeah I, I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me feel like it's more satiating. Mm -hmm. Okay. The next step would be after you've already started the autoimmune protocol, this would be to track your emotional response to the foods in addition to your physical response. Now, if you're following something like the autoimmune protocol, any type of elimination diet, really, you should be constantly tracking the foods that you're eating and what your physical reactions to those foods are. Because the end goal of an, uh, an elimination diet is not to eliminate these foods forever, but it's to identify how your body reacts to them and then choosing based on that and based on any other information you have of that food, whether you'd like to continue eating it consistently, occasionally, or not at all. But having that, it's like knowledge is power. And that's something I'm going to talk about later as well. But we all know to track the physical responses, but what about the emotional responses? So I have identified a few things here that you should think about every time you sit down to eat something. So first off is how do you feel prior to eating? So what is your emotional state prior to eating? Then what state are you eating in? And when, I'm, when I bring that up, what I mean is that every time you eat or let's say 90% of the time you should eat because I don't wanna come across as dogmatic, you should be present in that moment. You shouldn't be trying to eat. If, if you're trying to feel satiated, if that is your goal is to feel satiated and in control of what you are eating, then you need to be present. You can't be distracted 
and in control of what you are eating. It just doesn't work that way. So being present, what that means for me personally is that I'm eating seated. I'm not eating while I'm cooking. So unless it's plated and yes, I will like try a sauce or a soup to make sure that it's seasoned well before I complete, complete it. But I am not like grabbing the bread or grabbing the chips and dipping it in the sauce and eating like standing in the kitchen, hovered over the kitchen cabinet or counter. So instead I plate everything, I sit down, I eat it and I'm present. And what that allows me to do is I'm able to stop myself when I'm actually full. Now, if I wasn't present, then I would be distracted and um, likely going to be overeating. All right, um, identifying after you've eaten, if you micromanaged your portions, and it's okay if you did, but it's something to be aware of and something to try to work on next time. And then how do you feel after eating? Now, emotions to look for, for the how do you feel emotionally prior or after eating would be guilt, sadness, anger, or stress. Now, if you feel any of those things, either before or after eating, I want you to look at the food choices that you made and identify like tools and techniques to not feel that guilt because you ate a certain thing or not eating a certain thing because you felt stress. Like find other ways to deal with those emotions um, so that you aren't associating those emotions consistently with food. All right, the last step that I have in this is to begin reintroductions as soon as your symptoms have re resolved. Now there, um, in my group coaching program that I'm working with now, somebody recently asked about starting supplementation and she felt like she was ready to start reintroductions. She had weaned off her medication already, which was amazing. But I suggested that she actually wait to do reintroductions until she had incorporated her supplementation for a period of time. The reason for that is that she needs to make sure that these supplements aren't triggering a reaction that she could have associated with food. Now, assuming that you have done all of this like correctly, you aren't reintroducing one thing um, while you're also reintroducing foods, then I want you to reintroduce those foods as soon as possible. So as soon as your symptoms are good to go, start reintroducing foods, make a plan and go slow. Now, when I, what I mean about that is like, when making a plan, I want you to identify what you're going to start eating first and making sure that you're not just like, oh, it's about time that I start reintroductions and I'm out at a Mexican restaurant. So why don't I go ahead and just have chips and salsa because I should start these reintroductions any day now anyway. Like instead, I want you to be very strategic about the way that you do this because otherwise this could lead you down the path of binging. And going slow with this is just taking it one step at a time as any autoimmune protocol would, would recommend. It's just one food at a time over the course of several days and making sure that you are being very introspective in how you're reacting to those foods. Okay, anything that you want to add to those steps before we go into troubleshooting? I don't think so. Okay, so with troubleshooting, these were a few like outlier questions that I had received. So if disordered thoughts appear after you started a healing diet, then what I would what I would guess is that you are restricting too much or if you go back to um, step... One, in identifying if you are having triggering thoughts, I would guess that you're probably feeling one of those four different, um, like you could relate to one of those four different things I mentioned. So feeling superior when you're 100%, feeling like your protocol is the only one out there, labeling foods as good or bad, or having emotional responses to eating particular foods. Finding ways to combat those different tendencies that you're having, I think will really help um, you deal with those disordered thoughts after you're starting a healing diet. And also going back to the different things that we talked about, which was like making sure that you're 
um, approaching this from a healthful perspective. And honestly, I feel like the biggest one, at least for me, so maybe this is just a personal thought, but I feel like the biggest one is labeling those foods as good or bad. I really do. And so if you can shift your mindset to thinking like these foods, even gluten, which is villainized in this community, even gluten is not necessarily bad and it may not be bad for you. And you may choose to have that be a food that you enjoy every single day. And that's 100% fine, assuming that you feel fine on it. So Mm -hmm. stop vilifying the foods and figuring out what works for you. Now, a lot of people who have these disordered thoughts um, appear afterwards, it's related to reintroduction. So they're scared to reintroduce foods. Now with that, I want you to realize that knowledge is power and you, you need to know how you react to the foods. You know, moving forward, if you, um, if you're accidentally exposed to that food or if that food is brought to you, you know if you are able to have a once once in a blue moon occasion of eating it or not. So there are certain foods that I never have in my life and there are certain foods I have on very rare occasions and then certain foods I have occasionally. And it's really important to reintroduce the foods so that you know which of those you can and cannot have. And then having a backup plan in case the worst case scenario happens. So a lot of people that are scared to reintroduce foods are worried that it's gonna send them into anaphylaxis, it's going to make them have hives, it's just gonna make them feel terrible. Find what it is that makes you scared about eating that food and see if there is a backup plan for it. Now, for me, Um, anaphylaxis is like the worst case scenario for me. Like what if I reintroduce this food and I suddenly can't breathe and I'm all alone when I reintroduce it and then I die on my kitchen floor. Now, maybe that was like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. That could have been triggering to somebody. But what I would do in that case is have an EpiPen on hand. Benadryl is what I always have. Yes, Benadryl. Like I have a, um, I've talked about this before, but I have a compounded form of Benadryl in case in case something ever happens. And so making sure that whatever your biggest fear is, you have a backup plan in place in case that happens. And that's going to allow you to feel a little bit more relaxed about reintroducing that food. And also if, if being scared to reintroduce the foods is an issue, having somebody that you really trust nearby because you really want to be as calm as possible during reintroductions so that you know that any potential reaction is due to the food itself and not to your emotional reaction prior to eating it. The last one that I want to bring up is binging. And with binging, again, I said this earlier, the first thing that we typically go to is Like if somebody comes to me and they're like, I'm binging, I'd say, okay, well, are you eating enough? And for me, it was the case that binging often was related to either restriction of that particular food or restriction to calories in general. But that's not always the case. A lot of times binging is going to come from emotional reasons and you're turning to food for these emotional reasons as opposed to um, just dealing with whatever that emotion is. I actually think, I think I have a blog post on that. So I will link to it in the show notes. I do. If not, then it's just in my autoimmune accomplice uh, ebook. There's a section on it, but I think I also have a blog post on it. And then there are feelings of restriction in general. So you're going back to looking at foods as good or bad and feeling restricted by them as opposed to allowing yourself to eat liberally within those confines. And then the last thing that might be causing you to binge, even if you are not under eating, would be relying on willpower. So you are relying on willpower to get you through and to um, avoid the quote, bad foods. And eventually that willpower will give up. So rather than relying on willpower, I want you to go off of going back to like your why. Why are you doing this? If you're coming from a place of health, there's a different 
underlying reason rather than willpower. I think that's it. I think it is. So what's your meal of the week? This is like such a terrible transition. Um, <laughs> it's just like this heavy topic and then all of a sudden like lighthearted. You got, got to end it at some point. Um, the thing that James and I have been eating over and over again, we've been using either DoorDash or Favor and we are getting Hop Dottie delivered to us. Now Hop Dottie is a gourmet burger bar. That's their term, not mine. Um, but it kind of is. And we'll get a burger on lettuce wrap. The one that I get is the shroom burger and it is so good. And I told James, I was like, as soon as we get settled in our new place, let's make it to where we make these types of burgers as opposed to just doing like a standard lettuce wrap burger. Like let's make it fancy so that we feel like excited for Friday night burgers rather than just like, oh, every day we just have a burger and have like the standard toppings on it. So these burgers from Hop Dottie, the one I get is, has uh, mushrooms, has goat cheese, pesto, and then lettuce, pickles, onions. It's so good. But it's like that goat cheese, pesto, and mushroom combo is just amazing. So my, I guess my meal of the week would just be to inspire you to take something that you typically would make that doesn't seem all that exciting and fun and find like a really small addition that you can add to it that makes it feel fancier. Right. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week and this episode. And again, I had such a great response to this on social media. I would love to bring an interviewer to talk about this. So if you know of anybody that has dealt with a healing diet and is coming from a, a history of with an eating disorder or disordered eatings, let us know and we'll try to bring them on and, and talk to them about this. Yeah. All right. That's and of course, always send, yeah, always send your questions to us. We'd love to batch some episodes soon. That's sure it. With the move. Yep. Have a great week, you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Unbound Healing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes and leave us a review. Until next time, you can find more from me, Anne, at grassfedsalsa.com and more from Michelle at unboundwellness.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.